I would invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, believe it or not, this is our last sermon in 522, because next week we'll be in 523. Uh, but uh, I'd like you to do something with me. We've done this every week. When I was a kid, uh, we would read the Bible. My dad was a pastor. We would read the Bible in the mornings, and I hope that's not just because my dad was a pastor. I hope if my dad was anybody else and still a follower of Jesus, we would have read the Bible in the mornings. But one day he came home with a new Bible, a new translation. Actually, it wasn't a translation. It was a paraphrase. Uh, Ken Taylor used to read the Bible to his children. And back in the day, he would read it either in the King James, and eventually he used the Revised Standard Version. And they would get done reading the section, and his kids would look at him, and they had no clue what they had just read. So he began to take those scriptures, and he began to write them in words that his kids could understand. And in 1972, the, the, new, li the, the new Living Bible, the Living Bible, I'm sorry, the Living Bible was, was produced it was a paraphrase. I remember as a kid reading the Living Bible and like, whoa, I can understand this. I remember as a kid when I read the, I got to read the, the Christmas story every year. And instead of saying she was with child or expecting, it said she was pregnant. And I remember what the word pregnant's in the Bible. I mean, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's a right term. So we're going to read our passage today, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 from the Living Bible, if you would join me. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here there is no conflict with the Jewish laws. I want to read a few words to you, and um, I just want you to let them soak in a minute. Loyal. Devoted. Dependable. Reliable. Now be honest with me for just a second. How many of you will be honest enough to admit that as soon as I read those four words, you thought of either the dog you own or a favorite dog that you've had. You know, anybody want to admit it like I did? I did. I thought of my dog, Brownie. Let me add to the list. Allegiance, truthfulness, trustworthiness. If you looked up the word faithfulness, you would discover these as synonyms for faithfulness along many others. Faithfulness, we just read, it is the seventh characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. I wrote down those words and I kept thinking about that whole idea. I thought of my dog first. Now, I haven't owned a dog for many years, but boy, I, I think back to my dog Brownie. If you were here last Christmas, I told you all about my dog Brownie. Oh, why did I think of a dog first? Well, it seems to us that sometimes our favorite dogs show us unconditional faithfulness. They're like always there, and they're always glad to see you. And they seem to sometimes be able to feel what you're feeling. But then I thought about, okay, I can't do a sermon on dogs. 
I mean, some of you would say, oh, sure you can. No, I can't do a sermon about dogs. And I got to thinking, okay, when we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about us. We're talking about people. And what are some examples? I thought about, can I come up with some examples of people who were faithful in what they did? Maybe you've heard about the Tuskegee Airmen. Formerly, they belonged to the 332nd Fighter Group in the 477th Bombardment Group of what was at that time in World War II called the Army Air Corps, eventually became the Air Force. They were called the Red Tails because they all painted the tails of their planes uh, red, their fighter planes. They painted them red so that they could differentiate themselves from the other squadrons and they can easily identify themselves in the air. The Tuskegee Airmen are famous for two reasons. First, they were the only and the first African-American military aviators. And they were trained in Tuskegee, Alabama, and they were good pilots, very good pilots. About a thousand of them flew in World War II. But the second reason that they are famous is because they did something that nobody else did. They had a, a, different, uh, a different task. They were famous militarily. You see, in, in the European war, when the U.S. would send, the Allies would send bombers out, the, there, were, there was always a fighter escort, and when the enemy fighters came in, the fighters would peel off the bombers to go take care of the enemy fighters, and we were losing lots of bombers. And every bomber that went down was a, was a crew of 10 to 11 men that were perished with it. So when the Tuskegee Airmen came along, they said, okay, your task is to not peel away from the bomber. Stay focused on the bomber. Don't go chasing after the enemy. Stay there and protect the bombers. And they were hugely successful. In, in, in the 15,000 sorties that they flew, there were only 25 bombers lost. In fact, bomber pilots would request the red tails to escort them because they were faithful to the mission. They stayed on the task. Their motto was, nothing's difficult, everything's a challenge. Through adversity to the stars, to the last plane, to the last battle, to the last man, to the last minute, we will fight, we fight, we fight, and we fight. They are celebrated not only because of, they were excellent pilots, and they have won. There was, there's a list of, of medals and citations that these pilots earned. But they were also celebrated because they never wavered from their duty. They never left their charge. No matter what happened, they stayed faithful to their calling. Let me summarize our sermon today in a sentence. It's simply this. Faithfulness is a core value that impacts all of life. Faithfulness is a core value that impacts all of life. The word faith appears 20 times in the six chapters of Galatians. Now, there's a couple of times where Paul uses it to refer to what we would understand Christianity as he talks about the faith. 
But the majority of times, it's a word that's used to describe the trust that one puts in the work of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and for the sins of the world. For the Apostle Paul, faith wasn't just an emotion. Faith wasn't just a nice sentiment. I remember someone that my wife used to work for would, would sign their, their letters, faith and belief, or something like that. It's like, in what? What, what do you mean? It, the faith was for Paul was a core commitment to following Jesus. In fact, for Paul, the one verse that I think stands out that describes the depth of his commitment to Jesus is found in Galatians 2.20. Look at it here. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. He's saying, I have gone to the limit of denying myself and putting Christ first. And so now my life is all wrapped up in the life of Christ. Christ lives in me. That makes all the difference. And so what I live here in the body is a reflection of the faith I have in the Son of God. Faithfulness is a core value that impacts all of life. It stands to reason, then, that faith in the work of Jesus should produce faithful character. You hear me talk a lot about following Jesus. I think that is one of the key commands for us as Christ followers is to follow Jesus. And by that I mean to learn and to observe how, how Jesus lived his life. And as I observe how Jesus lived his life, then I do my part to the best of my ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to live with the same heart, the same mindset, the same compassion as Jesus. And I will tell you, it's a lifelong journey, and there is not a one of us that does it perfectly. But yet, as imperfect as we are, when we are faithful to the standards we see in God's word, it impacts all of our life because faithfulness is a core value that impacts all of life. And so it's important to begin with the standard. You know, I was doing some work in my garage the other day and I needed to make some cuts. And so I pulled out my trusty tape measure and I pulled it out to where I needed it. I made a mark so I could make my cut. And and, you know, I, every time I do that, I think, you know, everybody knows what an inch is. Everybody knows what a foot is. If you pulled out your tape measure and I pulled out mine and we opened them up, there, the inches would be the same and the feet would be the same because there's a standard. Well, for us, God's faithfulness is our standard. God's faithfulness is our standard. You see, one thing about each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is we can always trace it back to the person and work of God. Uh, as you may have already noticed, I begin every description, every word study was showing how they reflect the person of God, and it's no different here. So I thought about God's faithfulness. I was drawn to Psalm 89, Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, and I'm also going to show you verse 8. Look at Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. 
I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Leave that up for just a minute. Even the word that's translated love, as we read earlier, reflects God's faithfulness. It's a term that means covenant loyalty, or as we read, faithful love. But notice what the psalmist says here. Through all generations, I'm going to make your faithfulness known. God's faithfulness is timeless. Notice he says that your faithfulness is established. You've established your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is unshakable. God's faithfulness surrounds him. It completely encompasses him. You can't separate God from faithfulness, and you can't separate faithfulness from God. Let me show you how that reflects in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 11 through 13, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. We're going to keep that up for a minute. There's a lot in those little verses. When we put our faith in Jesus, what Paul is saying is we identify with him in the fact that he died for us. When we follow Jesus in obedience and when we're, we're baptized, even uh, the Bible talks about being baptized in the Spirit, but also baptized by immersion, water, baptism. That is a living word picture that we are burying our sinful person and we are in essence dying to self and rising again to new life with him. Paul's not talking about new life with him somewhere down the road. It's, it's now. But then the rest of our life on this earth is a life of endurance. It's a marathon. No nod to the marathon that's happening about right now. But it's a marathon. It's a, it's a long-distance run. Eugene Peterson's book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what our life is to be about. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's unfair, uh, but it's an endurance. It's an endurance with a reward that one day we will reign with Jesus. Endurance and faithfulness go hand in hand. The word disown here means a word that can mean to reject or deny or be ashamed of. And, and, and you know the, the plus side, Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 and elsewhere in Luke, if we are going to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves. That means we put ourselves last. We put Jesus first. And in this verse, if we deny Jesus, if in a sense, if we put ourselves first, he'll, his response will be to put us last. Look at it this way. Jesus does not play games with you and me. We either follow him or we don't. There's not a lot of middle ground. We either put him first or we don't. That's not to say we do it perfectly again. But our aim, our goal should be Jesus first. If we are faithless, if we ultimately refuse to believe in Jesus, that does not change who Jesus is. 
He does not need us for any sort of validation. Hear that again. I don't validate Jesus. He does not need me to validate him. He validates me. He will be faithful. He will be true to his word. He will be true to his character regardless of what I do. His faithfulness is eternal, and it depends on his character, not my actions. But I should desire that my actions reflect the God I say I serve. When I claim to follow Jesus, it's imperative that faithfulness to God and then to what he's put in front of me to do becomes part of my character. Another thing to remember in light of that, faithfulness reflects strength of character. Faithful. You think of people you know that you would say they're faithful and they have a strength of character. Faithfulness reflects strength of character. I think that's why Paul uses the term fruit of the Spirit in this passage because the product that the Spirit produces in us when we follow Jesus includes faithfulness. Part of developing good character is putting things in the correct order of importance. I am always reminded and always brought up short, especially as a pastor, that Jesus reserved his harshest words for people who thought they had all the answers. And as a result, they figured that they had earned their favor with God. We call them the Pharisees. And, and I'm just going to tell you before we just pound on them a little bit, Remember this, the Pharisees had a very, I think, initially a good motive. I have a, a book that's on my shelf called Extreme Righteousness. It's by a man by the name of Tom, Tom Havistel, written several years ago. I think it was his doctoral work. And, and he, taught, he walks us, you, the right reader through the Pharisees, and, and their whole motive in the early beginning was, we never want to go back to captivity again. We need to follow God's law. And that's a great motive. But then they decided they would wrap all kinds of things around God's law so that you couldn't see it. So by the time Jesus comes along and he follows the law, the law that he helped write, he follows the law, he's called a lawbreaker because he wasn't following their tradition. The Pharisees majored on the minors in so many ways, or as my wife will often say, they put the, they put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Look at what Jesus says just in one sense in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites! You gave a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Jesus said, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You know what I did? I went to our spice cabinet. And I pulled out the, the dill weed that we have. And I looked at the weight. In that jar of dill weed, there is eight-tenths of an ounce of product, 23 grams. 
I don't even know how to calculate 2.3 grams or eight one hundredths of an ounce. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you're out there trying to figure out eight-tenths of an ounce and you're being people of injustice and you're not being merciful to the poor and you're faithless. You need to be doing this, but first be merciful and just and faithful. Jesus was saying you're so focused on the wrong things. Sometimes we focus on the stuff that doesn't matter and we forget our character. And what a stunning word picture. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. When we focus on faithfulness that builds our character, we do make a difference for God. I would dare say Clarence Jordan is not a household name for most of us. Clarence Jordan grew up in the early part of the 20th 20th century, grew up in Southern Baptist churches, and, and he was a brilliant man. He earned a Ph.D. in agriculture and then also went and earned a Ph.D. in biblical languages, biblical Greek. In the 40s, the 1940s, he and his wife Florence, along with another couple, Martin Mabel Englund, moved to America's Georgia. And they started a community. They wanted it to be a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. And the community eventually became known as Koinonia Farm. It was established as a community for poor whites and poor blacks. Everyone that came to Koinonia Farm was treated as equal, regardless of status, regardless of ethnicity. Jordan says it this way, we farmed the land for our livelihood and we sought ways to work in partnership with the land to conserve the soil, God's holy earth. We preached, taught, we were members of local churches. From the beginning, Koinonians emphasized the brotherhood and sisterhood of all people. When we could afford to hire seasonal help, Black and white workers were paid a fair, equal wage. When the community and its guest workers prayed or ate a meal, we sat together at the table regardless of color. Remember, this is America's Georgia. Our commitment to racial equality, pacifism, and economic sharing brought bullets, bomb, and a boycott in the 1950s. The KKK and others attempted to force us out. We responded with prayer, nonviolent resistance, and a renewed commitment to the gospel. In 1954, the Ku Klux Klan showed up at Koinonia Farm. They set fire to every building on the farm. Only Dr. Jordan's home was spared, but it was riddled with bullets. The KKK chased everyone away except for one black family who refused to live. And even though the Klansmen wore masks, Dr. Jordan recognized many of them, including a newspaper reporter who showed up the next day. He showed up the next day to do a story on the attack. You can imagine the next day there's smoldering rubble, and he looked for Jordan, and he found him out in a field hoeing and planting. And he said, I heard the awful news. I came out to do a story on the tragedy of your farm closing. Dr. Jordan ignored him, 
kept doing his work. The reporter tried to needle him and egg him on and tried to get him to lose his temper. And finally, he said, well, Dr. Jordan, you got them PhDs and you put all these years into this farm and there's nothing left of it at all. Just how successful do you think you've been? Jordan stopped hoeing, stood up, looked the man in the eye, and he said, about as successful as the cross of Jesus Christ. Sir, I don't think you understand us at all. What we're about is not success, but faithfulness. We are staying. Good day. And they stayed. And they rebuilt. Koinonia Farm existed this day. Eventually, as we moved out of the 50s and into the 60s, the the threats of violence began to dwindle. And so Koinonia House, continuing their farming business and all, looked around and realized the poor have bad homes. And so they started finding ways to increase the the housing, the local housing. They began a project to build decent, affordable homes for their neighbors. And in 1965, a couple of millionaires, Millard and uh, Linda Fuller, came and they just wanted to do like a little two-hour tour. And they did this little two-hour tour and then they decided, we're coming back. And they moved in and they built a house and they stayed at Koinonia Farm in 1968. They lived there permanently. A year later, Mr. Jordan died suddenly from a heart attack. And everybody wondered, will the farm continue? What's going to happen? What about the housing project? The community continued. They continued to carry on that legacy of of just that fellowship, that commonness that that koinonia is. The housing ministry continued. In fact, you've heard of it. It's called Habitat for Humanity. The Fullers took that dream and they continued and they built it and they made it what it is today. You see, when faithfulness is part of our character that reflects the person of God, we can never fully measure the results or the legacy that brings glory to God. Mr. Jordan never saw the ultimate results of his faithfulness, but they continue to this day. And hundreds of thousands of people have benefited because he said, we're staying. We're not going away. Faithful people are reliable and trustworthy. Faithful people are reliable and trustworthy. In the first century, as the Jesus movement was continuing to grow, there were people who traveled from city to city, from house church to house church, teaching God's word. Some just came through and needed a place to stay. Some would spend time in a city or a town. We see it throughout the writings of Paul. He would send his emissaries, Timothy, Titus, Phoebe, to take a letter to a town to teach and and instruct from that letter. It wasn't limited to Paul. Throughout there, there were many others. John had people that went on his behalf. And in fact, in the little book of 3 John, a, a book that's entirely one chapter, he describes Not only these people, but he describes his friend Gaius. Look at what he says in 3 John. It it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified, he's talking to Gaius, about your faithfulness to the truth. 
telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. John says, I'm so thrilled. I don't have any greater joy than to see the faithfulness continue. My friend, you're faithful in what you do. When you and I are faithful, there are rewards, and sometimes that reward is just the sense of knowing that you did the right thing. And and, and it may be that somebody notices, but it may be that nobody notices, but would you know that God always notices? God always sees your faithfulness. God knows that faithfulness is not easy. Sometimes we see faithfulness in the most unlikely places. Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss, captured the reality of faithfulness in a little book called Horton Hatches the Egg. I'm not going to read the whole book to you. But let me summarize. It begins with Maisie. There she is. Maisie, a lazy bird who became bored sitting on an egg and waiting for it to hatch. One day, Horton the elephant walks by, and she coaxes him into sitting on the egg and giving her a break. So Horton, the first thing he does is he realizes that he must weigh about a ton. So he props up the tree, and he tenderly climbs up onto the nest and he sits down and he watches the bird fly away. But Horton calls to her, I'll sit on your egg and try not to break it. I'll stay and be faithful. I mean what I say. And he sat. And he sat. And he sat. Day and night through a terrible storm, wishing that the bird would come back. But Macy, by the time that he was, that by this time was far beyond reach, enjoying the sunshine down in Palm Beach. Horton sat through the autumn, he sat through the winter. Icicles hung from his trunk and his feet, but Horton said with a sneeze, I'll stay on this egg, I won't let it freeze. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephants faithful, 100%. The spring thaw came, and his friends came out, and they teased him. He sat through the jeers of the other animals. He was lonely. He was sad. He wanted to go out and play. But as he sat on the egg, he continued to say, I meant what I said. I said what I meant. And elephants faithful, 100%. He stared down the barrels of the guns of hunters and he looked them straight in the eye as if to say, shoot if you must, but I won't run away. I meant what I said and I said what I meant and elephants faithful 100%. But they didn't shoot him. They take the tree captive and and Horton on the tree, on the nest, and they take it out of the jungle and they take it across the sea and they sell it to the circus for all to see. To Boston, to Kalamazoo, to Chicago, Weehawken, and Washington, D.C., to Dayton, Ohio, to St. Paul, Minnesota, to Wichita, Kansas, to Drake, North Dakota. 
And everywhere people are flocking to see the elephant up in a tree and they laugh at the elephant up in a tree and Horton grows sadder and sadder the longer and the further he went. And But as he sat in that hot, noisy tent, he says, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Eventually, the circus makes its way to Palm Beach. And Maisie the lazy bird swoops into the tent to see what she can see. And she squawks and she screams, accusing Horton of stealing her egg. And at that moment, just then, at that moment, the egg begins to hatch. And a new creature whizzes out of the nest and whizzes by. And the people are surprised and they're amazed. They've never seen anything like it before. My goodness, my gracious, they shouted my word. It's something brand new. It's an elephant bird. And Dr. Seuss ends the story this way. And it should be. And it should be. It should be like that. Like what? Like that. Like a reward for all of the times that one was faithful. It should be like that because Horton was faithful. He sat and he sat. He meant what he said and he said what he meant. Not only is an elephant faithful 100%, those of us who follow Jesus should be faithful 100%. We may not always get an amazing reward and see a new elephant bird, but we do need to be reminded God's faithfulness is our standard. Faithfulness reflects strength of character. Faithful people are reliable and trustworthy. Faithfulness is a core value, and it impacts all of life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. God, may we be people who are known for our faithfulness, People who are known for our faithfulness to you, for our faithfulness to keeping our word, even when it hurts, for our faithfulness to our neighbors, for our faithfulness to our family, for our faithfulness to those around us. And may we be reminded that faithfulness is not always rewarded now, but that faithfulness is always seen by you. And may we reflect the product of faithfulness that the Spirit produces in our lives. To your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.